in the Holy Land, the Land Grants flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me riding shotgun, as always, is Chuck Holmes. It is great to be back for another episode. It's also great that summer is officially here, Chuck. I don't know about you, but I love this whole sunshine until 9 p.m. thing. I feel like I'm in Norway or Alaska or something. Are you a summer guy, or what's your favorite season, Chuck? Oh, I'm a summer guy. I The warm weather... The fact that we live in Columbus, Ohio, where it gets to be 10 degrees is insanity. We're both stupid. I, I know we like cold, watching cold football, but come on. We're, we're so stupid to be here. Give me June. Give me July. Give me August uh, all the time, and I'd be good with it. I'm with you. I just need some more sports to fill the void in my life here. But, um, yeah, look, thanks for listening to Climate Talk with the Hangout Boys. But we're going to go ahead and get back to our regular scheduled <laughs> program now. Get back in our lane here. Uh, Chuck, we are going to do another themed episode this week, or we'll get to that. Uh, another great source of content from the Brain Trust here at Land Grant. But before we dive into that, I think there's plenty of other stuff to talk about, other current goings on in the Scarlet and Gray universe uh, that has occurred or gone on since the last time we recorded, last time we put a uh, podcast up. So Let's start with basketball here. You know, this pod usually focuses more on Ohio State football and football in general, partly because we have the Bucketheads who do a great job covering all things basketball for Landgram. But you and I are huge basketball guys. We love it. We played it. We watch it. We generally know enough to be dangerous. So let's talk Bryce Sensible here. Since of all, Ohio State's fantastic freshman and leading scorer last season was taken 28th overall in last Thursday night's NBA draft. He is, unless a trade happens, going to embark on a professional career with the Utah Jazz, a solid franchise, I'd say, with a solid foundation. As far as sense of all goes, um, how do I want to say this? I think he has a ton of work to do as a basketball player. He He's a great talent. He's not a great basketball player, in my opinion. You know, he's a bit of a black hole on offense. He does not do a whole lot of creating for his teammates. Turns the ball over a little bit. And on defense, I mean, his defense is pretty much non-existent, right? But Bryce Sensible can score in any number of ways. He's a bucket getter, and that's what you need in today's modern NBA. He is... I think he's pretty pliable. If he gets into better shape, I think that he can defend maybe two through four. And he has started that clock, you know. He's going to make good money as a first-round NBA draft pick, so good for him. And he's a Buckeye, so we're rooting for him. But, Chuck, I want to ask you a few open-ended questions here and just sort of let you cook. I'll open up for you. Was do you think Bryce Sensible leaving was ultimately the right decision for him? Do you believe that he will become a air quotes guy at the next level? Or do you think he has bust potential? Like where are you at on Bryce Sensible now that he's been taken in the first round of the draft? Yes to all three. Is that, is that allowed? Because I, I still think it was the right call. I don't know what he was going to do next year, unless he really committed to defense and getting in shape at Ohio State, I don't know what he was going to do to improve his stock. He's still 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and uh, a bigger dude uh, with a, a, a wide ass. That, like, that's just not a 
a body type that is going to change a ton. So I still think it was the right move. He got the two years of guaranteed money. He's going to a great franchise. I and, and this is coming from someone who's a Lakers fan. I hate Danny Ainge. Like I, <laughs> I, I hate the that he's good at anything basketball related. And he, but he is. He's a good executive. They hired a good coach last year, Will Hardy. Like they way overachieved last year with the team this past season with the team they had. And they're still going to give opportunities to young guys. Like they don't believe they're a championship caliber team. The young guys are going to play that that earn playing time. Like they're going to play, and it's going to set him up. If he handles business, he's going to be able to play, and he's going to be a productive member of the Jazz. Completely off topic, but on topic. As I was doing research for this, did you know Micah Potter is a member of the Utah Jazz? I did not. He certainly fits the mold, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> but no, I did not. I knew he was on the Heat, I think, for a hot minute, like their G League, I think. But no, I did yeah, not. Yeah, my man was... played seven games last year, seven minutes, uh, 3.4 points a game. That sounds I, about right. I take back everything I have to say about the team because obviously their scouting department is needs help. Yeah, I mean – the thing with Sensible, I think most of what you said was correct. The thing that sort of concerns me about his immediate potential, you know, he's got to get in better shape, I, I, I think. And he's got to learn how to play team basketball. And you're right, Will Hardy is a, a really good up-and-comer. He's an up-and-comer, really good coach in the NBA. And I think they've got a good infrastructure there. But they also have a ton of young guys. You know, Sensible was the third first round pick for just the Jazz, right? They took, I think, uh, Taylor Hendricks uh, out of UCF. They took the George kid from Baylor earlier in the first round. And so Sensible, you know, he's sort of third in his own draft class. And I, I don't even know what they added in the second round, if anything. But then on top of that, Walker Kessler last year, Laurie Markin and I a little bit older. Neither one of these guys plays the same position, but he's on the team that got Colin Sexton, although I think he's a trade candidate, on and on and on. There is a lot of youth in Utah, and, and sometimes when that happens, it, it's like one or two may hit, and who knows about the other guy. You know, I look at the Spurs last year, right? Malachi Branham was one of three first-round picks for them, and – he, he played very well, especially down the stretch. Jeremy Sohan was uh, sort of a niche piece for them, but a good player. And then they took the other kid out of Notre Dame, the small kind of combo guard. I don't remember his name right this second, but two out of three, they hit, right? And so you look at Bryce Sensabaugh as the 28th overall pick, number nine and number 16, they are going to get chances, as long as they are playing at a, you know, an acceptable level, whereas Sensible, like I said, he's the third guy. And so I think he has potential. He could be like a microwave scorer kind of guy uh, off the bench, in my opinion. I don't see him having a starting role, especially early. But yeah, as much as I like the team, the organization, some of the pieces, I just think that he faces uh, sort of an upward climb to regular minutes and, and seeing the ball and sort of, sort of doing what he wants to do, which is ISO score stuff, right? I don't know that that's going to work 
extremely well in Utah. So I think that he has to change his game a little bit, but he's got a ton of potential to be a guy who can get them buckets, I think. What I do think is really working in his favor is they're thin on the wings. Like you, the guys you mentioned, like Markinen is technically a wing, but he's seven foot. And you talk about Colin Sexton, he's a guard. Uh, Rudy Gay's a wing, but he's literally 36 years old. Like that's, it, it, it's almost time for Rudy. Uh, Olenek's a big guy. Uh, Kessler's a big guy. Toscano Anderson's a wing, but he stinks. Uh, Jordan Clarkson's a free agent. I don't think he's going to come back. Uh, they've got uh, Ajiba from last year. They've got, and and that's really it. Oh, T- Horton Tucker, he's a bum. Like these you guys, he, he can get it. As, as a yeah, I, I should. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing: if it's between him and Horton Tucker, it's he doesn't have to learn how to play defense because he's already better. That like just outscore him. So I I think there's opportunity because they are a little. The depth on the wing is not crazy, so. There's going to be minutes there to be earned if he's willing to go earn them. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, and I'll preface this by saying I don't have an answer. Do you have like a player comp for Bryce Sensible, one that you can think of? Oh man, um... because it might. So I'll I'll let you sort of think about that, and I'll, I'll stall for a minute here. In my opinion, he is the perfect sort of scoring guard to come off the bench but he's not in my opinion he's not a creator he's not a ball handler and so he also yeah and he also can't guard guards like his chance is to guard wings he just he does not have a chance to guard guys up on the on the top of the key uh he's he's built like pj tucker but he doesn't they don't have the same game right he doesn't one he does not have the the grit at all that that pj has he's more skilled He'll probably score more than P.J. Tucker does this year, but he's not going to play half the minutes that he does. I mean, that's the body comp. I think about a guy like, and they don't play really a similar position at all, but I'm just thinking about the guys that have been in the news NBA, uh, in the NBA news recently. Jordan Poole was that guard, right? That combo guard, if you even want to consider him a combo guard, but he was a guy that, Golden State tried to bring off the bench just for buckets and then develop him. And we saw how he did or did not develop. And the thing with Jordan Poole, though, is, and maybe there's a Big Ten sort of thing that I was thinking here, too, but at least Jordan Poole can handle the ball a little bit. At least he can shoot that three-pointer a little bit. Bryce Sensible is a good shooter as well, but it's like, in theory, Jordan Poole can do all of these other sorts of things. And it still didn't work out that well. Granted, he got paid. He's going to go maybe be a, a good stats, bad team sort of guy. But you look at the team that Golden State had, and it just didn't work out for him. And so, I don't know. Is Bryce Sensible a bigger, thicker version of that without the ball handling ability? I don't want to make this a Jordan Poole podcast, but he lost his shot. That's really what caused that. And he may have lost his shot because he got sucker punched by a teammate. But um, <laughs> I, we, I actually the the comp that I that's finally come to mind, and actually I just discussed him. He's a bigger Jordan Clarkson. Like he's that's his game. Like come in instant offense, maybe guard a guy has the physical skills to guard somebody, but doesn't always do it. But can be that he's bigger than Clarkson, but he can be that like 
run a second unit type, go get a bucket type when the starters that need all the shots are getting rest. Yeah, so I guess, so he's your three version of a Jordan Clarkson. Maybe that's what Utah's looking for. Yeah. You know, they've got, they actually have multiple I mean, versions. Because they have Clarkson's Colin Sexton, a free agent, too. So it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, same concept. They're both the same kind of player. And I think that's why Clarkson and, and Sexton probably didn't work as well together because they're both guards. Whereas if you put Bryce on the wing, that's a different concept, right? It's just different spacing. It's different ideas. It's different ways you run your offense. And maybe him and some, somebody like him and Sexton can really work off of each other that way. Man, think about that as a second unit. Colin Sexton and Bryce Sensabaugh, two passes or less. Like I know growing up, right, it was your coaches would tell you in like elementary and middle school, you have to pass at least five times before a shot goes up. Utah, Will Hardy is going to be praying for three or four passes before Colin Sexton or Bryce Sensabaugh gets a shot up. But those guys can get buckets. And sometimes in the NBA, that's what you need. You're always looking for guys who can score. And so, yeah, maybe I'm talking myself into this a little bit more. He has, Bryce Sensabaugh, has the skill set or the ability that is like, it's innate. It's natural, right? You can either score or you can't. And I think that his ability to score will translate because, yeah, he lacks some height, especially some of these modern wings that are like 6'10", playing out on the perimeter, right? But you mentioned his posterior. You're right, man. Bryce Sensabaugh has got a big old ass. He's going to back you down. And if he works on that post game, if he can work on the turnarounds, the things like that, then I think that he can be a multifaceted scorer. So um, best of luck to him. Honestly, uh, you know, we're rooting for him. I like watching him most of the time at Ohio State. It's just sometimes he would turn into that black hole. But again, he has the ability. He's now a first round NBA draft pick. That's a special thing for him. And so kudos to Bryce Sensabaugh. That's sort of the basketball part that I wanted to hit on. Chuck, the other thing that we need to talk about, a couple other things. Ohio State football has had a pretty, you know, big week, I would say, since we last recorded or since our last podcast went out on the recruiting trail. They have since landed three recruits uh, beginning last Wednesday, I believe, with Tavian St. Clair. And just this past weekend with Bryce West and Damarion Witten, both out of Cleveland Glenville, um, opening up that pipeline or reopening that pipeline again, along with Arvell Reese last year, just part of this 2023 class as a linebacker. Chuck, a lot of different ways we can go here. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to save the West and Witten piece sort of uh, for the tail end of this part. I think the bigger or more interesting news here is the commitment of 2025 quarterback Tavian St. Clair. So this is another additional class. We're talking about well in advance here. But, you know, this kid, he's a three-star recruit, uh, according to the 247 composite ranking from nearby, nearby Bell Fountain, Ohio. So you've probably read it. it. He eventually does become a starter at Ohio State. He's following in, you know, Cardale Jones and Joe Burrow as a couple of Ohio guys at Ohio State. Um, you know, 247 as a single entity has St. Clair as a four-star and the number 13 quarterback in the class. He also held offers, or still does, I guess, from Alabama, LSU, Michigan, Penn State, Tennessee, just to name a few. So 
Color me intrigued. This kid is only going into his junior season. He's performed very well on the camp circuit, and I'm guessing that quite a few people evaluated St. Clair when he was a 180-pound sophomore. He has put in a ton of work on his game and his body, bulking up to 216 pounds. He's got a 6'4 frame to build on. Like, this kid has the physical attributes that you look for or that Ohio State looks for, anybody looks for with a quarterback. What I find interesting here is that St. Clair was only the third quarterback in the 2025 class to earn an Ohio State offer. The others were five-star Bryce Underwood and four-star Ryan Montgomery out of Finley, Ohio, and the brother of incoming freshman offensive lineman Luke Montgomery. So the Buckeyes seemingly were being very picky and apparently decided that St. Clair was their guy. With the amount of talent OSU already has in that quarterback room, I don't see a second quarterback in any of their future classes, really. So what I find extra really interesting about this is many people thought that Montgomery was going to be the guy for a long time. He's the higher-ranked recruit. His brother was a big-time target and get in this 2023 class for Ohio State. Just sort of made sense, right? But now, I don't know, I think that we can probably assume that Montgomery is going to look elsewhere. And look, nothing against Montgomery. Enjoy the process. But his recruitment has been very, um, I don't know, noticeable, if you will. He's taking a million visits. He's posting about all of them on social media. He's keeping his options very, very open. St. Clair, meanwhile, is currently ranked much lower than any of Ohio State's recent quarterback uh, recruits. We're talking Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, Lincoln Kineholtz, Aaron Nolan, and even Quinn Ewers, if you want to throw them all in there. But he got an offer. He knows what can happen if or when you play quarterback in Columbus. So he pulled the trigger. Um, Chuck, I've sort of gone on here. Do you think that this is Ryan Day and Corey Dennis possibly settling? Or is St. Clair a home run swing and a potential steal in the, let's call it, distant future here? I sure hope it's not them settling because it's, I don't know if everybody knows it, but it's June of 2023. Like, we should be settling for 2025 quarterback recruits right now. So I wonder, and this is the, this is the dark, dirty underbelly of, of football recruiting, right? Or and recruiting period. Like, I wonder if they took this commitment and if Montgomery or whoever else, if it's Underwood or Montgomery or, or anybody else that gets an offer decides they want to come, if they don't say to, to St. Clair, Hey, we're taking two quarterbacks. You're going to be the number two guy. Uh, we'll take you, but we're, we're not, we're not sure where you fit in on the roster type thing. And I'm look, I, I'm, I'm not here to judge. Every program does it. Everybody liked it. This is college football. It's a business. Uh, so I, that to me, that's what this feels like. It's an idea or an opportunity to take an Ohio kid. And he is the worst case scenario for the class. I just hope that it's not, they don't shut down quarterback recruiting. I think that would be foolish to not at least continue to a give offers where you feel like you can uh, strike a, a deal or B continue to recruit the guys that you've already given offers to and see what transpires. Because like you said, they're going into their junior year. Like 
I get it. He put on 30 pounds, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a better quarterback this year. So you've got to keep your options open, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. Uh, I also think that it's entirely possible that Corey Dennis and, and Ryan Day just they love this guy. They love his potential. They love what he brings to the field, brings to, you know, whatever, you know, classroom, meeting room, things like that. Maybe they love his intangibles as well. And <clears throat> the reason that I, I I think you're right, but I also do think that St. Clair could be a kid just, you know, with the Ohio State offer and the commitment, he's already going to shoot up a little bit, probably. But maybe they did find a bit of a diamond in the rough here. Um, with the lower ranking, as far as recruiting goes, it is a long ways off. And we've seen guys like this shoot up. Um, uh, gosh, CJ Stroud a couple of years ago shot up a little bit. Uh, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, when he was a wide receiver, like when they started to really sort of get involved with him, I think he shot up in the rankings quite a bit. And those are just a couple of guys. I, I don't have pre and post in front of me, but a couple names that I thought of. This happens, though, and especially with a guy who's not going to be potentially at Ohio State until 2025, a lot of room for growth there, but also a lot of room for him to maybe plateau, and maybe that's where your scenario comes into play, where they, they have this guy, they have one in the fold, but continue to look. But, again, it seemed like Ohio State was being picky. They have been picky in years past, and I, I don't think that they – have ever or will be forced to settle in the near to distant future because they are Ohio State. So there's something about this kid. I have the utmost confidence in that, that at the very least, he has some raw ability that they're like, we can get something out of him the way that we've gotten everything else out of those guys in the past. Okay, but when was the last three-star quarterback that started for Ohio State? Like, seriously, like, none of these guys were three stars, right? We I mean, talk about all these, like, the part of the, uh, if he was, I mean, he was the fourth string at one point. It took two <laughs> quarterbacks fair. to get hurt before Cardale got into the, the lineup, right? So I guess that part of it, like, we can't say, oh, man, Kyle McCord's going to be great because he's a five-star, and then say, oh, Tavion St. Clair is going to be great. They just – they know it, and even him being a three-star is not that big of a deal. Like, we can't have it both ways. We're either going to get the big-time guys, and they're going to be great, or you're going to develop guys, and they're going to – like, so we're, we're the uh, the narrative – like, we're, we're changing the narrative based on what we want to hear. Like – until a quarterback fails, I'm willing to to let it go and say, hey, they, they know what they're doing. But if one does, say McCord doesn't pan out or Devin Brown doesn't pan out this year, then you got to start questioning. Like you've already lost the guy for next year's class that you had in. You you lost him after three months and you went and got a guy that's better. Oh, oh Aaron Nolan fits us better. Okay. Like I, and I'm all here for it. I'm here for, for the the lefty sensation. I want to see it. But at some point, like, you're going to be questioned if one doesn't pan out. So they better all keep panning out. Kyle McCord better be the man. Aaron Nolan better be the man. And Tavion St. Clair better be Ohio State worthy, right? Because th th this is a top two or three program in the country. You don't settle for three stars at quarterback here. Guess who's not bringing in a three-star? Georgia. 
They don't care. They're they're not bringing they they don't see diamond in the rubs. They just go get diamonds, and that's that's could potentially become a problem. That's actually that's actually an interesting point that you bring up. As you were kind of talking about, it, I was thinking about the quarterback since Ryan Day has been in Columbus. You know, he gets all the credit in the world for the development, and thus far he has identified a ton of talent. But Dwayne Haskins. Do you know who Dwayne Haskins' primary recruiter was? It's sort of funny, given last week's podcast. Do you know who the primary was on Dwayne Haskins? Well, yeah, it was Larry Johnson because he's a DMV kid. Yep, and so Larry Johnson helped bring him in. Think about Justin Fields. Justin Fields was recruited and committed and went to Georgia. C.J. Stroud was an A to Z sort of guy for Ryan Day. But yeah, I mean, that's... As the sole sort of entity, the the overlord, Ryan Day is really one for one when you talk about A to Z, seeing the entire process through with a guy that he handpicked and he helped develop it and so on and so forth. So yeah, like Ryan Day gets a ton of credit. He deserves all of that credit, but if Kyle McCord were to fizzle out or Devin Brown or somebody like that, then it's like, well, okay, now he's one for two. Now he's 50% or he's something like that. I know that's a lot of conjecture and a lot of what if sort of stuff there, but um, interesting nonetheless. And I don't want to gloss over the other two commitments. It's just, we had previously discussed a little bit more about the quarterbacks because we found that interesting, but Rice West, the, 247 has him as the number one player in the state of Ohio in this 2024 class. The number four cornerback, uh, 5'11", 180, has played a little bit all over the second, well, not all over the secondary, but he can play inside or out. Uh, a high four-star, I think, right now. And look, Ohio State needs all the defensive backs they can get, and you want to keep all the best players in Ohio. In Ohio, they've done that thus far with Bryce West. And so I think that's a huge get. I just, I don't have as much written up about him because we've got some other things we want to get to. And Demarion Witten, 6'4", 215, 220, tight end, also out of Glenville. Like I said, you want to keep those good, those proven Ohio kids in Ohio. Profiles is a pretty freaky athlete. Witten does. I was reading some things about him uh, this past season. He took a 99-yard handoff or screen pass for a touchdown. So, he can do some things, and now they've also got two tight ends in that 2024 class. So that gives Ohio State some options at a position that I want to see them start to really utilize. He's going to love not catching the ball with that kind of athleticism here at Ohio State. Maybe 2025 is year at the tight end. Is that Can we commit to 2025? Is that where Look, we're committing to here? I, I think with LeBlanc and Witten in that 2024 class, they brought in Thurman in the 2023 class. I think if I if I wait, guess, so, so we're going three we're going three tight ends now. Is that what you're saying? Three tight, or are we just going three tights and two? Are we going to get a fullback in the, on the field and we're just going we're just going to pound the rock? No, I mean I think they're actually going to do the opposite. I know I know why you're making that joke because we have joked about that in years past, the year of the tight end in Ohio State, but. I give Ryan Day and his staff credit. Today's, you know, sort of football, especially in the NFL, the tight end is becoming more and more of a weapon, becoming more and more prevalent. And you need some freak athletes 
if you really want to like hit your ceiling or reach your potential, I think as an offense that likes to throw the ball, that's what Ohio State does. And so if you can get these big athletes at tight end, a la, you know, Travis Kelsey's the gold standard, but I just think about some of like the, the big time athletes, and he's not even really up there, up there, but like Mike Gesicki, right? I think about Dalton Kincaid, who was taken in this past year, uh, past draft. Um, George Kittle, even, you know, granted, he's a hellacious blocker, but a really, really good athlete. So I'm just throwing a couple names out there. Uh, an athletic, big body tight end who can also run past some people, I think is important. And so maybe Ohio State is going to make more of an effort to get these guys involved. I don't believe you. <laughs> Chuck, you're giving me nothing here. But you know what? I, I think that's fair. That's actually a good time to probably cut it off because it is proof of concept, right? Until we see it. We're not willing to buy in, and I think more so for you right now. But that is sort of the the housekeeping portion, some of the other things that we wanted to talk about in this week's episode. But we don't want to ignore um, or sort of bypass the the weekly themes that Land Grant is doing, and I think these ones are going to be pretty interesting. So, Chuck, what do you say we take a break? We'll regroup. You tell me, you know, how little you believe in the tight end off air. And we'll come back after a break and talk about some broken records. What do you say? I, I've got my tight end list. All right, we'll be back right after this. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I am Josh Dooley. With me, as always, is Chuck Holmes. If you're catching us mid-episode or catching us again, hope you've been here the whole time. Um, you know what? We're not a radio show, right? Like, they should have been with us the whole time. What am I even doing? That, you don't come back from a break like that. No, they just they decided to listen to the second half of the pod. They, they said the first half, there's just no way they're going to give us anything. So they, they're jumping in at 30 minutes. And you know what? If that's what you did, we're, we're good with it. Come listen to the, these 30 minutes are going to be fire. So you made a good choice. I've been listening to too much uh, sports radio recently, but we're going to keep that in for the hell of it. Um, you know what? Chuck and I... The, the theme this week on Land Grant Holy Land is broken records. In case you guys have not been following along, uh, we are doing a weekly theme each and every week to sort of get us through the summer here. But it's also really fun, interesting, conversation-creating content. So, like I said, the theme this week is broken records, whether that's, um, you know, records that we might see fall this year, whether that's Ohio State, college football, college basketball. Um, it's it, it could be sounding like a broken record, a la Mickey Marotti and the strength staff, and maybe questioning some of those things. But Chuck and I figured that there was at least the possibility of, or for a lot of crossover on Land Grant this week with the theme of broken records. One can only go so many ways, right? So we decided to focus on one or two records each in two different categories. Those are most likely to fall in 2023 and most likely to never fall. And we decided that these are going to be OSU related, but then we'll discuss a few wild and random ones at the end of the pod. We're going to start with most records most likely to fall in 2023. And I'll admit it right now. I like Chuck's more. We talked about this before the pod. So I'm going to go first so we can save his for last. Chuck, when I look at, Ohio State football related records most likely to fall in 2023. Um, 
I struggled. I, I, I did. Once you call dibs on a certain player that we'll get to, I knew was that I was in trouble because if you go through the Ohio State record books, you are going to find some impressive shit, right? Uh, you just are. And with the new quarterback and some new guys up front and a stable of running backs, like I, I just don't see much in the way of record-breaking performances in 2023. I'll be honest. So I had to go with really sort of a bold prediction slash record that I could see falling, um, which is, you ready for this, Chuck? The record that I think that will be broken in 2023, I think the JT3 Molo out will break the record for tackles for loss in a single game. All right, this is very niche. This is Whoa. very yeah, yeah, I know. Let me explain myself. Very specific. Um, but the current record is five, 5.0. They, of course, give tackles for loss in half increments. Current record, Ohio State, is five in a game held by a handful of guys, including Chase Young, Ryan Chazier, and Andy Katzenmoyer. I like to emolo out to break this record for a few reasons. One, Penn State game last year, right? He had three tackles for loss as part of one of the best and like craziest defenses game, defensive performances you're ever going to see. And I, if I'm not mistaken, he went up against the left tackle for Penn State, who is like a projected top 10 pick in the 2024 NFL draft. So he did this against a real guy or against a real team, at least, right? Reason number two, I just think that he's going to get better this year. And we've talked about that. And on top of that, he is effective as both a run stopper and a pass rusher. So I could see something like two to three sacks plus two to three tackles for loss against the run. I know that that sort of goes against some of the things that we've talked about recently, a la, you know, in regards to Larry Johnson and this defensive line performance. But we know that he can, to Imolo out, he could ball out for at least one game. Not only that, but, you know, again, for me, it's just the lack of other records. You know, I, I don't think that Kyle McCord is going to put up better numbers than C.J. Stroud or Dwayne Haskins or whomever. Um, no single running back is going to dominate touches, in my opinion. Sacks and interceptions are just too hard to come by, so I, that's why I went away from that number. Tackles for loss is, like, just niche enough that I, I could see it falling because it's an odd stat. Things happen oddly in games like that Penn State won last year. And so I think that the big-time career records – might be a little bit more out of reach. So I went with something single game, and that's how I landed on JT2 and Molo Al. I'm going to give him 5.5 tackles for loss at one of these games, probably early on. I'm going to be completely honest. If you told me it was only five, I would have called you a liar. Like, when, when you first brought this to me, I was like, man, is he going to get, like, what is it, seven, eight, nine? Like, Ohio State's been playing football for, like, 240 years or something. <laughs> like for them to not have, and I guess maybe tackle for loss is a stat that hasn't been been uh, kept as long as some of the others. But I I could see your your record falling. I, I definitely could see it. It's not out of the realm of possibility for him to have a game like that again against a tackle that's not as good and a coaching staff that does a piss poor job of game planning for him. And he could go crazy. So I, I could see it. You'll get a half point from me. 
simply just because I thought the record was higher, so it's not as impressive. All right. Um, half credit, I guess. I'll take that. But I want to get to yours, Chuck, because we talked about it before the podcast. And I think oh, that, boy. Yeah, within years, it's like a Russian nesting doll. There's a lot of things to go through, and they just keep on coming and coming. So, Chuck, why don't you give us your record or records, Ohio State football-related, that are most likely to fall in 2023? All right. I have six of them. They're all going to be broken by Marvin Harrison Jr. Some of them are single season. Some of them are career. Are you ready? You want them all at once or you want to go individually? Well, let's just go through them all at once and then we'll, all right. we'll break them down. All right. Single game receptions, 15. Jackson Smith and Jigmas currently the nope. record holder. He's going to break that one. Single season receptions. Same thing. Jackson Smith and Jigma is the current record holder at 95. He's nope. going to break that. Touchdowns in a single season. 17. Terry Glenn is going to break that. Eh. And because he's going to break that, he's going to break career TDs of 35. He's already at 17. So if he gets 18 touchdowns, he ties Chris Olave. And he'll be the career touchdown catch leader as well. This one, this one is where I'm getting a little bit. This is this is me banking on Kyle McCord only being about 70% of CJ Stroud because he's going to look too much to Marvin Harrison. 100 yard games. Nine of them. David Boston. Now, keep in mind, he's also going to get a couple extra games potentially that David Boston didn't get. David Boston probably played at max 13 games where he has the ability to play upwards of 15. All right, you're warming and up a little bit. Because of that, if he gets that nine, he'll also break the career 100-yard games uh, 14. Same thing. David Boston has that one as well. So Marvin Harrison, I, I'm looking at here, we're looking at 100 catches. He's only going to be about 15, 1,600 yards maybe. I know I think he's got a chance to – I sprinkled a little bit on a Heisman. If that 100 catches turns into 1,900 yards because they're a little more impressive, and then probably 18 touchdowns. I mean, like, at the beginning of the season, like, what are we what are we talking about at the beginning of the season? He's going to have seven touchdowns before he even gets to Notre Dame. So Because you're thinking, like, Western Kentucky, Youngstown State, yeah, games like that. he's going to have three – He's going to have three touchdowns in the first half and then go sit on the bench the second half. But I'm, I'm calling all six of those. I would actually uh, – I, I need to find a sports book that will parlay all six of these for me. And I'm going to quit the podcast because I'm going to be so rich after that. You might have to go offshore to get a parlay with all of those. I, well, I've been known. <laughs> I've been known. You have been known, uh, allegedly. Look, uh, there's a lot to unpack there, and you sort of heard me chiming in. I, I think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is entirely capable of breaking all of those records, just you know, his ability, his standalone ability, his talent, and things like that. But I just, where I'm dubious is... I don't think that the volume is going to be there. And I've said this in previous podcasts. I, uh, you know, 
I have the highest hopes for Kyle McCord and or Devin Brown, whoever it ends up being. But to follow in the footsteps and to even one-up guys like Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, like that's a big, big ask. It's something that you and I even talked about. We would be happy as Ohio State fans if Kyle McCord passes for like 3,200 yards this year, 3,500 yards, something like that. Um, and so when you look to – they're going to look to spread the ball around a little bit because you can't forget about Emeka Ibuka. You really can't. I think that he's going to see plenty of volume. If Kyle McCord does end up winning out, yes, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be his favorite target. It's been his ride or die since back in their high school days, right? But – like I said, I think it's a big ask for Marvin Harrison Jr. to go 15, 1,600 yards, 15, 16, 17, 18 touchdowns, 100-plus receptions in what I think is going to be this year's Ohio State offense. And so I'm less dubious on those ones. Now, the 100-yard game thing, he could exert dominance or assert dominance, I should say, in 9, 10, 11 games. I'm with you there. I think that that's sort of a good bet. And if he meets the single season number, then yes, by default, he is going to meet or break the career record for 100-yard games. So I like that one. But the other one, I'm just a little less dubious of it. The other thing, too, I look at the receptions record. Not so much the receiving yardage, but the receptions record the JSN set. Look, he spent so much time in the slot. He caught so many of the easy balls underneath. He was an outlet at times for CJ Stroud because the other two guys with the big names may have been covered up or, you know, running something a little bit deeper. JSN was the, like the highest of high end security blankets. And so those were a lot of his catches. And again, same thing in the Utah game that Utah Rose Bowl, granted the other guys weren't on the field, but there was such a connection between CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba, I never thought that that one would get broken. You know, for him to have 15 catches of the game, 350 in the Rose Bowl, put him upwards of 100 for the year, like, those are crazy numbers. Marvin Harrison Jr. had a great season last season in 2022, and he ended up at, what, 77 receptions, 1,200 yards. So he is going to have to really be exponentially better or take a huge leap to get to those. And so that's just where I, I can't get there with you because I am doubtful of the volume and the the explosiveness in this year's Ohio State offense. It's not because of him, but it's because of what I envision this offense being in 2023. I actually think the lack of explosiveness of the offense is why he's got a chance at these. Because I don't think he's going to average 20 yards a catch. I don't. I think there's a chance he's in the 14 yards a catch because he's a security blanket. Let me jump in real quick. So do you see by predicting this, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, you're sort of predicting a, a noticeable step back or just a lesser role for a Mecca Is that fair? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think this is, and I, I've been on this train since the spring game when McCourt struggled and he was just dumping the ball left and right to, to Marvin Harrison, the, the couple of series that, that Harrison played, he, he just, when he, when he panics, it just, it, it's going to go to Harrison and there, there's going to be 
uh, I, I venture to say there's going to be at least two games where he catches 10 or 12 balls and struggles to break 100 yards because it's just dump offs to him. Like McCord's just one step and firing it to him and, and getting it out before he really even has a chance to run his route because he trusts he's going to be able to catch the ball and get something out of it for him. So I, I agree with you in the lack of explosiveness, and I think that's why it actually happens. And then I think McCord is going to use him as such a safety blanket. Like it's just going to be when in doubt, throw it to Marvin Harrison and see what happens. And because of that, uh, you now lost. You you had a half a point for yours, but because you're wrong on mine, you're back to zero. And this podcast has pretty much been for naught for you, pal. Sorry. Well, I, I just want to make note around the 45 minute uh, portion of this pod. So you're basically saying Marvin Harrison Jr. is Cooper Cup, and you're comparing Emeka Ibuka to Allen Robinson. Is it, is that what I'm hearing? You're going to see that there's going to be that much of a disparity. You just called Emeka Ibuka Allen Robinson. I <laughs> you or might Adam have Allen Robinson stats. Here, here's here's my concern: is he's going to be running open, and Kyle McCord's not going to know. He's going to come back to the huddle two out of every three plays and be like, Hey man, I was open and they're going to watch film. And he's going to be like, Oh shit, you were really, Oh, you were open by 10 yards. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's how it is. Almost every play, bud. but you never look to my side of the field. So you're going to, you expect a little less variety. And I think that that it's entirely possible. Um, I just, I think Amigo Buka is so talented and he can do so much underneath. Whereas Marvin Harrison Jr. Like that's the other thing. I don't know that they have to, or that they need to, like, abuse Marvin Harrison Jr., you know what I mean? Like, I don't think they have to go to the well every time so often. I think they can sort of lessen the burden on him because, you know, it can be, look, we're going to throw the ball to whoever is hopefully open, um, and Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be our red zone guy. Look, I know he's going to catch a ton of balls, but, like, can he be an air quote specialist when they really need him the most and then spread it around just because they have options really not because he's not entirely capable of it just because they have options. Can they choose to do a little more dink and dunk and get some other guys involved? Well, I guess we'll find out. Uh, and I'm, I'm as soon as I find this parlay, I'll let you know what kind of odds I get. I'm guessing uh, somewhere in the plus 10,000, it's gotta be where I'm going to be. And I'm going to put at least $10,000 on it. So come January, I will be out of the podcast business because I will be living on the island that this offshore betting service is run out of. Uh, let me know if you find it. Maybe I'll sprinkle a little bit on that one. So, look, that was our one each for 2023 records that we expect to fall in 2023. I, I'm really a little less dubious about all of them. But Chuck has the utmost confidence in Marvin Harrison Jr., and I can't knock him for that. Let's move on to the other one that we went with. Um, Ohio State football record most likely to never fall. And this can be single game, uh, single season, career. I'll go first again on this one. And, you know, again, going through the record book, and I knew, I knew this guy's numbers were that significant, but – Going back through it, I was like, man, this is crazy. So the Ohio State record that I think is most likely to never fall, that's most likely to stand forever for a long, long time, JT Barrett. 
12,697 yards of total offense during his Ohio State career. So second on the Ohio State list is Arch Leister with 8,850. That is a discrepancy of roughly 4,000 total yards. No other Buckeye has come remotely close to Barrett's total. So I see that standing for a long, long time, like I said. It is going to take a three- or four-year starter who puts up crazy numbers both on the ground and through the air to even come close because it wasn't just longevity, right? Barrett is fourth all-time in average total offense per game. So it was efficiency and consistency as well. And, you know, uh, C.J. Stroud type could theoretically have broken this record in the past. He put up 368 yards per game. Um and 4,400 total in 2021, which is the best season-long average and the second-highest single-season total. A lot of numbers. Regardless, he still finished about 4,500 yards behind JT Barrett. So Stroud would have needed to come back and replicate his 2021 season again, which is a huge ask considering he only, again, air quotes, accounted for 3,800 total yards last season. We're just talking... Crazy volume, crazy consistency, and crazy longevity. So that's why I see JT Barrett's record standing the test of time. Yeah, I don't agree. And here's why. Part of the reason C.J. Stroud only put up that 8,100 yards is because he didn't win the Big Ten, so he didn't get to go to a Big Ten championship game. There's two more games. There's another 700 yards for him, and he didn't get out of – if somebody gets to a, a couple of college football playoffs and actually makes a couple national championships, you're talking at somebody who could play upwards of 43, 44, 45 games. And then it's it's a completely different concept. Now, yes, they are going to have to put up C.J. Stroud numbers. But considering what Ryan Day quarterbacks do, that doesn't seem like a crazy concept, right? If, if somebody comes in. Now, the problem will be, getting the true freshman to win the job, right? That's the challenge is getting somebody who is a true freshman, because let's be honest, if they put up those type of numbers, they're leaving after their third year. That was what happened with CJ Stroud, right? He redshirted a year and then he played two. He wasn't coming back after a third year because there was nothing for him. There was nothing here for him. He was the number two overall pick for a reason. So there's the potential for a true freshman but it's not likely. So quarter point for you because it is an unlikely to be broken record. How about this one real quickly? Cause I want to get to yours. JT Barrett's career touchdown record. So 147 career touchdowns. Accounted God. Second on the list, Braxton Miller with 88. So we're talking about a difference of 12 plus 47, 59 more touchdowns than second on this list. Do you think that that's, that one is, uh, you know, less approachable or more likely to stand in the total yardage? I think that one is more approachable simply because if you get a dual threat quarterback like JT was, they're less likely to leave early. And then if you're talking 35 touchdowns a year and they played four years, like he, I mean, that's the other thing is, is JT played four years, right? That part of it is going to be the challenge. 
2023, how many four-year starters are there in college football? They're just so few and far between. So I do think that one's more breakable because uh, if you were to get – now, I don't think that one can be broken until Ryan Day leaves because he'll never have a quarterback that runs that much to get that – to get the the – to stay four years and then also – score enough on the ground to justify the touchdown record. So if Ryan Day leaves for the NFL next year and uh, somebody comes in that likes to run the ball a little bit on the ground, then it could be in jeopardy if they can find that uh, freshman quarterback that's ready to play. Ryan Day for the NFL. Get out of here. Give me your shot. Give me your record that's most likely to not fall or never to fall. This one, and, and it's not from a lack of talent, even though I don't like the guy. But I don't believe this year or any year Archie Griffin's record of two Heismans is going to be broken. And here's why. Here's why. Every time somebody has won the Heisman and come back to school in the last 20 years, right? Uh, It's only happened a few times. But when it has, none of them have really had a chance to win it that second time. Tim Debo actually had two years. And he was never really considered a candidate. And here's why. If you are Caleb Williams, last year you threw for 4,500 yards, 42 touchdowns, and only five picks, rating of 168.5. In order for you to win it again, you can't throw for 4,500 yards, 42 touchdowns, and five picks, right? You have to have a better year. There's a scenario where Caleb Williams wins the national title, throws for 4,000 yards, 38 touchdowns, and finishes fourth in the Heisman voting because he did not have a statistically better season. The the incumbent does not it, – it, it is a – it is opposite of boxing, where in boxing you have to knock the – quote, unquote, you got you to gotta knock the champ out. You don't have to knock the champ out in Heisman voting. The champ is automatically behind the curve because they have to show – a better next season statistically. And it has, in my mind, if Caleb Williams doesn't throw for 48, 4,900 yards and have them in the college football playoff, he's not even going to be a consideration. He may make it to New York, but he's going to be a distant second, a distant third, a distant fourth to somebody else because his numbers won't mirror the ridiculous numbers he had last year. Oh man. Um, you know, I think that clearly you and I and Ohio State fans, like, we don't want to see Caleb Williams winning, win a second Heisman. Um, and I'm with you that usually they need to one-up themselves, one-up their, their, their prior performance. But I do think it's possible. Uh, I think it's possible this year because Caleb Williams is he's a good player. Uh, he's a, a very productive player. And – this is sort of going to be a shot at his head coach. I think that his head coach makes an effort to like prop his guys up as Heisman's. We've seen it, right? And it, it's good for his his bankroll, his bank account, having these guys who are in the Heisman conversation, the number one pick conversation. So I think Lincoln Riley, you know, Lincoln Riley and USC, they'll have Caleb Williams in a 49 to 10 game with two minutes left in the third quarter. I wholeheartedly believe that. And so that's where I think that he can replicate the numbers because I think his coach 
Um, I'm sure he wants to win a title. <laughs> the, the Heismans and the stuff like that, they, they make him look good by proxy, right? So I think that he'll want to have – it's sort of a, a feather in his cap as well. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting, though, because you're right. He does have to go above and beyond, I think, what he did last year. That's a big, tough ask for Caleb Williams. Them being it, – it's kind of you, – you don't know with USC whether they're going to be a better team or not. I know they brought in more transfers, and they've got a great recruiting class. But either way, like if their defense doesn't get better, it's going to hurt him because they're going to lose some games. But if their defense is exponentially better, um, same thing. I know he keeps him in games, but at some point, you have to call the dogs off at some point, right? And he didn't have to at all last year because they were, I mean, it was 49 to 35 every game. So I think either way, he can't he can't win it this year also if he doesn't get back to or get to the college football playoff. They're not going to give it to him on a nine and three. Uh, Pac-10 runner-up team again. They're just that, not. That's the problem, though. The Pac-12 stinks. It, like, you know, you've got Oregon and Washington, who I think can compete, and they probably have well, better teeth. Go ahead. It stunk last year, and he didn't win it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I take I, I see Utah taking a step back, but maybe Washington's better, and Oregon's going to be, you know, something to contend with. So, yeah, 9-3 is definitely possible. Um, and that defense stinks out loud because Alex Grinch is there. So, I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to talk myself into it not being likely, but I just, as much as I'm not a fan of the guy, I think he's a talented football player. I think he's going to put up big numbers and be super productive. It just, I think it too much depends on what goes on around him. I, I put it like a 50-50 shot. Not, well, not 50-50, but, like, I'm very much on the fence on whether or not I think it's even likely, I guess. Oh, wrong again. That's okay, pal. I know. I'm constantly on the fence. But, look, we're we're an hour in. We did the records that we sort of went a little bit further in depth about. But let's, let's do some rapid fire, Chuck. What do you say here at the end? You want to do some rapid fire? I'm ready. I've watched plenty of game shows. I feel like rapid fires is where I excel. Okay. So I've got a couple Ohio state centric ones and then a couple all sports. We'll go quickly on this one. These are a handful of other records that I do not see falling anytime soon. First Pete Johnson's 58 career touchdowns. We're talking, you know, uh, line of scrimmage touchdowns or by a back receiver. Second is Ezekiel Elliott with 44 in Ohio State history. So big variance there. What do you think of Pete Johnson's career touchdown record? Uh, it's kind of similar to uh, the total yardage and total touchdowns. Not why Ryan Day's here because he just won't run the ball enough. And frankly, receivers just can't. There's no receivers that are getting 27, 28 touchdowns. If Ohio State doesn't ever shift back to a, a run-centric offense, there's just no chance. Number two here, Marcus Merrick, linebacker extraordinaire, 572 career total tackles. I don't have who's who's in second place. A lot of these totals are crazy, but 572 sounds made up for a college linebacker. Yeah, so even if you had a linebacker start four years, play 60 games, they still wouldn't get there because 
teams just throw the ball too much these days. It's just it, it's it's physically impossible for a linebacker to average 10 tackles a game for their entire career. So no chance. I would uh, we will have somebody score 70 touchdowns from uh, scrimmage before we have somebody break the line or the total tackles record, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you on that one, actually. Third one here, Mike Sensabaugh, 22 career interceptions for the Buckeyes. What do you think of 22 picks in a career? <laughs> Insert not with this defensive backfield joke here. <laughs> uh, 22 is a lot, man. And um, the, the, the offenses are so sophisticated. Like, you just don't – you won't see that. Same thing. They're, they're not going to play four years. If somebody has 20 picks in three years and is going forward in their senior year, they're going to be in the NFL. So they're just not going to be here to have a chance to do it. Yeah, a lot of these just come down to longevity. I don't think this one is all about longevity, but it, it plays a role, and this one's impressive. And, and I didn't give the numbers, so bad by me, but – Mike Rabel's career sacks and tackle for loss record has really stood the test of time. Uh, gosh, I, I should have had it up in front of me. I think you finished with like 36-ish sacks, and I see you pulling up the tackles for loss one for me right now. I'll stall a little bit. The reason that I think a career sacks and tackle for loss record is so difficult to break at this point is because guys just aren't getting in the backfield as often. Uh, the sack record, even single season, Chase Youngs hasn't been approached in forever. Um, and, and again, the sophisticated offenses play a role. So Mike Brable's career sacks and tackle for loss record is another one I've seen say that for a long, long time. So I could see his sacks. 36 sacks is not crazy in the era of being able to play 13, 14, 15 games. So I could see that one. In, in all honesty, if Chase Young doesn't get suspended a couple games and get banged up, like he had a chance to make a run at it, right? Uh, you you got to have somebody that plays as a freshman now. You got to get seven, eight sacks as a freshman. Now they've had that. I mean, the Bosa's and, and, and same thing. I mean, if Nick Bosa doesn't get hurt and plays more as a freshman and doesn't get hurt as a junior, maybe he had, makes a run at it. The 66 tackles for loss, that's a lot. Like, and you... To me, that one's more unbreakable because you just can't – there's just not enough running going on to get that extra 30 stops behind the line when teams are only running it 10, 12, 14 times a game. Yeah, I think we're in agreement on all those. Like, I'm going to give you two, and these are non-Ohio State. Just tell me which one you think is broken first, or tell me if both of them stay in the test of time forever. Barry Bonds is – home run record give me single season or career or will chamberlain's 100 point game which one falls first will's 100 point game because kobe already hit 81 and he didn't really do it with threes right if there's somebody that can get to 16 17 threes made in a game and then they make 17 18 19 free throws like you're there you're pretty close already so will's 100 point game uh, Bonds is just not going to be broken. I don't. I don't think either of them gets broken. Nobody's going to play long enough. Anybody that has a chance to play long enough to break his record is going to have made upwards of a billion dollars because 
they're paying $45 million a year now. So, he, I mean, Barry was making six, seven million. I mean, these guys are making 45. So they're just not going to play that long. And they're not going to have nearly the chemical balance that Barry had when he was breaking those records either. That, that's true. And I'm with you on both of those. I think that basketball is so sophisticated. The three-point shot is so prevalent now that somebody probably on a really crappy team is going to go for like 102 some night, just, you know, shoot half three quarters of the team, the shots for his team. So I could see that one falling and, you know, 700 some home runs, 73 in a season. It's just bananas at this point. So I'm with you, Chuck. Before we get out of here, do you have any of these records, like any oddballs you want to throw out there? No, I don't have anything like extra ones, but to kind of put it in perspective for you. So Donovan Mitchell went 71 points. He only made seven threes in that 71 point game that he had this past season. He did make 20 free throws. So in a scenario, he went seven of 15 from three and he made 20 of 25 free throws. If all of a sudden he's 25 for 25 and he makes 10 out of 15 threes, which is not something that's like, sustainable but for a game so right there he's at mid 80s and he only took 34 shots now 34 is a lot but he it was an overtime game and hey overtime counts right it was a single overtime he played 50 minutes if it ends up being two overtimes and he had made those and then he gets seven more shots like right there he's pushing 100 in a game that's now and Donovan Mitchell is not the shooter that some of these guys are. You could easily get one of these guys to do it. So um, it, it it's happening. We're going to see it in our lifetime. I don't have any other records. I do have a couple of listener questions. If you want to hear those, we're not nearly, I, I got to be honest. We're pretty disappointed this week with, with the questions. They weren't quite as hard hitting as they have been these past few weeks. So we're going to need some help out of you guys. We need some like real hard hitting questions to kind of push the envelope for us. You, uh, you down to hear these. Yeah. Let's do a couple rapid fire style. All right. First one uh, is from, Oh crap. Who is this from? Oh, another female listener, Stacy. Even though we haven't heard anything recently, is there anything that leads either of you to believe that there is a change in the quarterback guard? Or do we kind of still think this is McCord's job to lose and Devin Brown is is second fiddle until proven otherwise? No, not in my opinion. I think it's Kyle McCord's job to lose right now, especially because he's been around. He's been healthy. Um I just I, I haven't heard enough about or really anything about Devin Brown to make me think anything otherwise. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I I think Devin Brown just hasn't done anything until he gets into camp fall camp. Now he I I do think it's open if he comes into fall camp and his hair is on fire. I I think the possibility is there, but I, I'm not convinced his hair is going to be on fire. So uh, next one is from uh, Joey. What stadium is there a stadium in the country that you guys haven't been to? And we haven't been to a ton that you want to go watch a game at OSU or not like whether you want to go watch an SEC game or we want to go. Uh, maybe if we want to go hang out in the Sun Belt and watch a game, is there a stadium you want to go watch a game at? Yeah, a ton. 
honestly, because I haven't been to enough. I've been to some cool ones, you know. I did the tour and I watched the game. I watched the Yankees and Red Sox at Fenway. Uh, I've been to a number of like baseball stadiums, but the ones that jump out to me, um, I want to be there for Inner Sandman when Virginia Tech has a home game. I think that LSU and Clemson both have like crazy beginning of game sorts of stuff. Gosh, Notre Dame, just because of the history. So I, I would just say in general I, that there are a lot of college football stadiums that I would love to go and watch a game at. Mine's LSU at night. I want to. I want to be in Death Valley at night. I've heard that it's the, the atmosphere, like an LSU Alabama game at night, is just crazy. Uh, if I was younger, I'd like to go to an Ole Miss game. Uh, those days are over, so <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind my son going on like a college visit down to Ole Miss or something like that. Uh, but yeah, there, there's so many of them. Like I, you, you could, I could name a hundred that I would enjoy. But I think Death Valley's probably the one for me. Uh, one last one. It's not a question. It's a comment, um, and it's from. <laughs> It, 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 it's from, uh, I'm not going to give his whole handle out because I don't want you guys to spam me, but he does have a uh, tiger fan in it. Uh, and this is specifically for you. Uh, so for those of you not aware, LSU is up 1-0 in the men's college world series final and uh, something along the lines of Virginia question mark suck on the tigers, man. So I, I, I don't know why he's so I've got a comeback for that guy. LSU gave up 24 runs to Florida today. So he could put that in his bayou pipe and smoke it. It's now 1-1, and Florida scored three touchdowns and a field goal in a baseball game. Billy Napier's hoping they could do the same this fall. <laughs> That's a good way to end it. A, a shot at the Florida Gators and Billy Napier, who we have no familiarity with, but that's a good one from Chuck. Um Thank you guys for sticking around. This was a fun one. We really enjoyed uh, discussing and talking about these broken records. I think the ones at the end are just really uh, a, a cool picture of sort of the Ohio State history and back in the day, the crazy stats that these Iron Men were putting up. But hopefully we'll see some records fall, some good records fall in 2023 for the Ohio State Buckeyes, regardless uh, of what they are. So, again, thank you guys for sticking around on this extra long one. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. Make sure that you guys go and like, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as we always ask you to do. Find and engage with us on social media. And we're out of here, guys. As always, 